Welcome to the All In Design podcast, the podcast that dives a little deeper into the world of UX. My name is Lindsay and I'm a content designer at Kindred, coming to you from London. We'll be joined by UX professionals from around the world to talk about their experiences, challenges and advice when working in the world of UX. Hello and thank you for listening to the latest All In Design episode. On today's episode, we're doing things slightly differently and I am joined by not one, but two great guests in the studio today. First up, we have Marius. Marius joined Kindred early last year as a product design manager, and he has been pivotal in helping to grow the Kindred UX team. He started his creative career as a graffiti artist in Oslo, which is pretty cool, before graduating in visual communication from Birmingham University. His first gig in UX, though, which kick-started his interest in user behavior, was working at QVC. Now, Marius spends his time hiring, training, and retaining great product designers here at Kindred. He works very closely with design principles to understand what talent and skills are needed for the different design teams. Teams here. Speaking of design principles, we are joined by Tom Walker, who is principal product designer and also a graffiti artist, joining us in the studio today. Just a side note there, you don't have to be a graffiti artist to join Kindred. I did try my hand at graffiti in one of Marius's creative workshops he held last year, uh, and it's safe to say that I will leave a graffiti in the hands of you guys. So Tom studied as an illustrator and graphic designer before ending up working as a web designer for various different companies. It was at this point in his career he became interested in building design systems and communicating their value to the wider business. This interest is what led him to UI design and joining Kindred four years ago as a UI designer, Tom now leads the foundation team within UX as the principal product designer. In this role, he can combine his experience in people management with his desire to stay hands-on and progress his skills as a designer. Welcome to the podcast, guys. It's great to have you on the show. Hello. Thanks for having us. So today we're going to be sharing insights and tips on how to nail a product design interview and hopefully offering some advice on how designers can prep for an interview. So let's start with Marius. What changes have you seen since, since COVID happened, like post-COVID, in the whole interview process? The interaction is obviously very different. When you hear about a proper interview face-to-face, it's, it's very unheard of nowadays. It's all happening online. Even I got this job at Kindred not meeting anybody until I walked through the door on my first day. So that's very different, but I think that's become a norm now. And I think the, the challenge there with having to assess someone on screen, you get a feel for who they are as a person, but I think you get a better feel for someone if you're with them in a room and you can interact, maybe go and make a coffee or tea with them and so on. Those kind of impulsive and natural interactions, there's less of that and it's all very formal. Yeah, I personally prefer being in the same room as someone. When I'm being interviewed, I feel like my personality comes across better than just being on a screen. And I think also with Zoom as well, I've been in instances where they're obviously on their laptop, their work laptop, and they've got Teams open maybe, and they're interviewing me, but I can see they're getting distracted by things, yeah. and it's really off-putting as someone who's being interviewed. And that moment when you like enter a building, and you have that walk from the reception to the to the interview room, you have a chat like, oh, how did you get here? What's the weather like? And yeah. it breaks the ice a little bit, whereas on Zoom, it's just sometimes just like straight in there with the questions. Still, there's still got to be some best practices though, right, for remote interviews. You've got to make sure there's uh, nothing untoward in the background and you've got everything tidy and Personally, I like to have a natural background, yeah, <laughs> but just to give I give the right impression. You know what I mean? That's it. Yeah. But like you said, like coming into the office, I think helps you understand. You get the feel for the culture as well. When someone picks you up at reception and takes you to the lift, just the way they say hi to someone, they mm-hmm. might meet a colleague in the hallway and say, "Hey, how are you doing? How was your week?" And be like, "Oh, okay, they're quite friendly here," you know. Yeah. And you get yeah, like yeah. that kind of. 
a window into the culture of the, the business, which you can't really replicate. Uh, remotely. Yeah. So one thing that I've seen come up a number of times in forums is they're applying for junior roles for example yeah. and they see uh, a job online or on LinkedIn and it says you need to come to this interview with a portfolio full of project work and the client work but as a junior that's so stressful because I don't have that yet because I haven't given the opportunity. So what advice would you give to them yeah. to start getting that work <laughs> to then be able to get an interview? Sure. A great question and I think yeah. that for me is the differentiating factor is when someone has a portfolio of say random stuff which doesn't really tell a story what I'm looking for you might be a junior you might have no experience you might have done a course or whatever that's fine but if I can see in your portfolio that you say your sister has a business she's a hairdresser you go out your way to brand her business to build her a website maybe to create a concept around an app that could be used for her business i can see the potential in your thinking right if i see that you only are doing some random logos like some kind of for fun projects it's good but it's not showing me that commitment to like a, a real life scenario of a client so for any junior what i would recommend is to go speak to your friends, speak to your family, try to create a project which even though it might not be a real paying client, you might not even get paid for it, but treat it as a paying client, treat them as a paying client, treat it as a real serious project and commit to it through from start to finish. That's what we're looking for, someone who can take, take an idea and then bring it to reality. Yeah, that's it, I think you, you need to tell a story, right? Yeah, and, and the story it. doesn't end oh, I did a course, here's my work. I'm just gonna keep showing this until I get a job. But you know what, you might not get a job because as you say, that, that there's not enough depth to that. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that you have to kill yourself and doing all these sort of self-initiated projects, but I think it's really that, okay, here's what I'm, gonna, here's what I'm doing now, here's what I'm doing next, here's the kind of steps I'm taking to, to get on that ladder. I yes. think that's, that's the thing. Definitely, yeah. yeah. So the main tip that you have in terms of portfolio is tell that story. Is there, yeah. is there anything else that you would like to add in terms of how to create that perfect portfolio that's ready for an interview? I think it's just being being willing to evolve it and I think be a real, being realistic about the amount of work that you might need to do as someone who's new to the industry. Because I think when I, well this was a long time ago now, but uh, when I very much had a portfolio like that, it, it wasn't good enough. But then what you do is you find, what well, might be self-initiated, it might be that you're going to do work experience, yeah. uh, it might be that you're going to take a placement, or it might gonna, you're going to create your own ideas. Just yeah, make sure it's relevant and just keep going. I think that's the thing. And then the portfolio that you end up using to get a job may be completely different to the one that you left university or your intensive boot camp with. And, and from my perspective, the mistake I see a lot of students and graduates make is that they might be super creative, they might be very skilled in using design tools, etc. But the context of their work is not something I can use. How does that fit into a commercial context? Your thinking is very different. It's very blue sky, airy fairy. It's not, okay, here's a client, this is the need of the client, and you need to fulfill your brief. And I think that, for me, has been often a disconnect that I've seen. Like, very imaginary projects, they look cool, but there's no substance behind it. They're not solving a problem, they're not addressing a, a customer need, it's just a cool piece of work. But for me, as a hiring manager, I'm looking for, okay, how do you take this, and how can... 
and and th this is something that I struggled with initially as I was I was doing graffiti I was doing calligraphy and it's like how can I take that skill and commercialize it and I think that's where the gap often occurs for mm -hmm. many graduates and if they can bring their portfolio closer to a real-life situation of okay here's a client this is what you need to do and how you executed that that if I can see that in your portfolio then you have much higher chance of succeeding for me you know that's where I feel the lecturers are failing a bit because they should rein them back in and be like wait a minute if you want to go out there in the industry you need to show people real work that they can actually envision oh yeah I can take this skill I'm looking for someone like you because otherwise it's just complete two different worlds you obviously spoke about the importance of keeping your portfolio up to date and telling a story. Do you have any tips on how to just start creating a portfolio? Because I think that's the hardest step, right? It's just actually creating it. I think it would also be just making sure that you're going and, and sharing that, that with people and getting feedback and getting ideas yeah. and, and improving what you've already got, making it more relevant. The feedback part is, I think, is very yeah. important. Getting it out. In, in front of people and um, getting ideas from from, from around the industry because actually one one issue I think people could have is they I think they would have a portfolio any anyway in some shape or form and you'd be sending it out there and it's just hitting a wall yeah. you know and, and so therefore you're not getting any feedback so I think it's really trying to find a way to actually connect with UX professionals if that's what you're what you're going after and trying to trying to build a bit of a, a network or people who can give you feedback and, and advice get a mentor like Marius. <laughs> yeah, and, and Julia mentioned last week that when she was starting out and she was creating her portfolio, she would often share it with people on LinkedIn and they would give her feedback. Yeah. But I guess before you've even put pen to paper, you could go out there and look at what other people are doing and do a bit of market research and see how other people are doing it yeah. and get some inspiration. Obviously not copying. Mm. Just change the colours. Being very honest, <laughs> everyone starts by copying. Yeah. Everybody starts, so that there's no shame in your game if you do that. I think whatever work you start doing, and this is what I always ask my designers and my team. I'll be like, would you put that in your portfolio? That, that's one of my questions to them. Yeah. If they create a piece of work, I'll say, do you think this is this good enough to go in your portfolio? If they say no, then I'm like, then, then why are you submitting this? You should be proud of everything you do. And then they look at it very differently. Yeah. You know, then they look at it with different eyes. They'd be like, no, I wouldn't. So why do you think it's good enough to go out there? And I think my point being, when you say where do you start, like you said, first of all, gather inspiration, of course, look out there, go to design museums, go look at magazines, read different forums. There's tons of information there, there's all Pinterest and the rest of it, but there's loads of stuff out there right now. YouTube have all the tutorials, there's no excuses why you shouldn't be creating an amazing piece of work right now. Then as Tom said, go and seek advice and feedback from others, your peers, teachers, other professionals and so on. Other than a great portfolio, is there anything else that stands out for you in an interview? What do you look out for as someone to hire? And I can say I mean, you've done a lot more interviews than I have uh, recently, but I think it's just being able to actually have a, a chat with that individual. Uh, a good interview should feel like a conversation, yeah. you know, regardless of the, the seniority of, or the nature of the role. And again, it's just been, have, obviously you're going to want that individual to talk around their work and have a good understanding of uh, the application, all that type of thing. But you should yeah it should feel mutually beneficial it should feel like a conversation there's one thing that i haven't mentioned just before the interview mm -hmm. i would say the important thing we haven't spoken much about the cv the first thing that 
we look at as hiring manager is how does it look? Your CV should be a piece of typographic delight, right? I need to see how you're using bold text and how you're using line spacing. And these are the details I'm also looking at visually as well. And I think that's often overlooked. So one mistake is not designing it. The other mistake I would say is not, when it comes to CVs, is using templates as well. And it screams a mile away if you use the template for your CV. If I can see that you have a brand, you've branded yourself, that brand is consistent on your website, on your portfolio, and I can see, okay, this person really, you know, this is a junior, he came straight out of uni, but he's really put work into presenting themselves properly. When we look at portfolio or CVs, when you're shortlisting candidates, you are scanning a page. You're not reading word for word what's written there. So if I'm looking for someone who can do prototyping and have some research skills and that's good in UI, I'm looking for those keywords. So if you can highlight those keywords and make it easy for me to scan and say bold and prototyping, whatever is in the job spec, those are the words I want to see in your job description. The other thing about CVs as well, spelling mistakes. Oh, yeah, worst, yeah. Seen, I, I've seen more spelling mistakes, more CVs <laughs> with spelling mistakes than without. Yeah. And it's un as a content person, right? It's unacceptable, you know. And actually, yeah. like um, writing content, and it, it's definitely not one of my strong points. But there is no excuse at all mm -hmm. for making any mistakes. It, it, it's got to be right. So it just goes straight in the bin. Yeah. Yeah. Straight. In the bin. <laughs> Do you find that junior designers who are creating their CV often actually? come to you with better CV than someone who's more senior who maybe has become a bit more relaxed about it and just like, oh, it's just a CV, I'm just gonna focus more on my portfolio. I think it comes down to personality. Yeah. You're right, I've seen people who have 15, 20 years experience with horrible CVs and then websites, portfolios. And it's okay to have a PDF portfolio, but really and truly, you should have online presence, right? I expect to have, you have a link and you have some kind of website. But ideally, you should invest in yourself enough to buy your own domain. Yeah. I would say. Uh, it comes down to detail again. Yeah, that's detail. Yeah. If you send me a link <laughs> and your website is not responsive, yeah. I'm going to lose credibility in your ability to check the work that you create. So these are, again, important factors that people overlook. If you're applying for a product designer job, your website has to be waterproof. It has to work across all devices. I'm going to check it out on my phone as well, just to make sure it works there. That's it. And, and actually, with the, with the website, it's actually fine to use a template because a lot of them are really good. Yeah. That's the thing. A lot of them are great, and you, there's not a problem to use it. But you should probably consider some sort of customization. But don't mess it up. You know, you well, do see when some people have messed up the layout or they've just yeah. made it weird and inconsistent again. Not acceptable, so. Yeah, or like yeah. You, you go onto one of their projects and it's like Laura Mipsum. It's like, come on, make that effort. It's all you have to make sure you kind of look back at yourself. How am I coming across to the rest of the world? It's very important. As a hiring manager, what's more important to you, someone with all of this experience and UX skills, or someone who would be the absolute perfect team fit with all the right company values and an eagerness and passion to learn? What would you do in that scenario? It's, it depends on what you're looking for at that point. Yeah. Because I have had people who were like a really good cultural fit and we had so many sort of things in common and it was great. But then 
it is, it is difficult to know. Again, it, it is probably looking for that passion and drive if we're still talking about a junior person. Mm-hmm. And, and actually juniors can be amazing, you know. Yeah. Going back to what we were talking about before, like, oh, are you looking for a senior? Are you looking for a junior? Mm-hmm. When, when we were recruiting before, sometimes we, we actually threw that out a bit because you had people who were actually punching at midway and they were like actually incredible, you know, compared to the, the senior candidate, for example. If I was to choose between a rock superstar with a super portfolio, but who fights with their employees, is offensive and rude, I would not hire that person either because I want someone that gets along with the team, doesn't create tension and conflict. So ideally you want someone who obviously has a skill, but also is a pleasure to work with. Yeah, how do you, what type of questions do you normally ask to try and get a better understanding of their cultural fit and their values that they have as a designer? You ask them questions around their personal hobbies, what do, what do they do outside of work? Ideally, you want someone who has an interest in design or technology and innovation. Say someone has, I don't know, photography hobby or something which is a bit creative, like making music or, mm-hmm. you know, then, okay, there's a creative side to this person, which is really, which kind of stimulates them outside of work, which is good. But stepping away from the creative side, yeah. so we obviously know that that's, you want a creative person yes. in a design role. What about those soft skills, like things, are they good at collaborating? They could have yes. all of the design skills in the world, but if they're really bad at working with other people and listening to other people, then how do you get that out of an interview? I think, I think it would come out in the conversation, really, because actually people would probably be drawn or encouraging them to draw on their previous experience. For example, in their current role or the previous role, yeah. obviously a, a red flag is when people would start to talk about maybe oh, my manager's a horrible person, or these type of things do come out. And that, for me, that's an obvious red flag. And there are a bunch of questions that we tend to ask around getting an understanding how they work with others, what kind of environment they like to work with, formal or informal, how they ask them to describe a project where they had to collaborate with others, and what was the success of that, or even asking them about a project that's failed. That's often a very interesting question because people yeah. struggle to answer that. Mm. And it's important to accept your failure. To hear them talk about it is quite revealing. Yeah. And it gives you an idea of how much they accept on their behalf or if they just finger point at others. Yeah. So, yeah. We should be able to celebrate failure, shouldn't we? In yeah. this modern, um, agile world. <laughs> we should be. At the end of the day, it makes you a better designer, doesn't it? So. I think any failure, you should learn from any failure. Yeah. That's the crux of it, right? I've been in interviews before where people have asked like really random questions. It's like, where did that even come from? Are you the type of person that would just throw in like a real curveball question? Like I've been asked once before, if you were to be an animal, like what animal would you be and why? And like you're there trying to think of like, how can I relate this to like being a good person in this role? Um, Do you ever do that when you're interviewing someone? A question which some people find odd is if you had a dinner and you could choose five people dead or alive who would you bring to the table and that gives me a good idea of what their interests are where their mind is at whether they have common interests with someone else in the team and so immediately it gives me an idea of fit if they will fit on the team yeah okay all right let's start to wrap things up a little bit just to finish off the episode with some top level tips for someone who's coming in and interviewing for a senior role, what advice would you give them? 
Oh, I got one. So when we're talking about about portfolios, we're talking about context and relevance. A lot of the time, people now are creating what is more like a case study. So actually, isn't it? So portfolios are often called case studies, especially with more senior applicants. And I think that is really key, is again, adding the context. So it's not just images. Most people will add some kind of context around their work. But actually, do you know what? I want a lot of context because I want to know what who's involved in this project. What were the business goals? What did you do? What did the users think about it? What are the next steps? All that stuff. I often found when I was creating my own case studies, I was like writing, almost writing loads and it goes, is this too much? You've got to get the balance right. But I think you need case studies to explain what it's all about because actually just putting in however great it might look, it's if I don't understand it, then I'm not really going to be engaged with it. Yeah, it's a great point in terms of what was your role in this project? Many people would put in some kind of amazing project and it turns out it was 10 designers working on it. But like, what did mm. you do? Exactly. What were you responsible for? Which yeah. is fine. Yeah. It's great because it shows collaboration. But it's also good to highlight my responsibility was this. I did this feature or that feature. You know, whatever it is that you did, make sure you, you specify that. I think so. It's really about the quality. These are sort of my achievements because a lot of the time, as well, in large companies, projects feed into each other into a larger initiative. This is the value I brought along with my colleagues. We achieved these things, and this is how it happened. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I'd like. I'd like to see for sure. Do you like to see results? If like what the business impact was, tangible figures and. Or is that not important? You just uh, want to see the numbers process. don't excite me. Well, yeah, yeah, you know what? Anything's a bonus, right? I think, any, again, if you can break that down in a visual way, amazing. Yeah, I think the more detail, the better. I agree. It's a, a plus. It's a bonus if, if they can show the uplift of whatever problem they're trying to solve and show metrics and tangible figures. I think that's just a, a great addition. I know we've touched on this quite a lot already, but just have you got any final last tips for a recent graduate who's just finishing up and ready to start creating his portfolio, going out into the world of work? I think yeah, it's just the beginning of the journey. That's the thing. I think that a lot of people potentially fail, especially back in the days of, oh, you'd be so lucky to get a job, things might fly, because they're thinking, yeah. why am I getting a job? Why am I getting a job? Because you're, just, you're stopping. It's like you're just beginning and, and you've, got to, you've got to let it evolve. You've got to, as we say, there's, there's a world of internet out there now. You, there's so many things you can do to get inspiration, get feedback, make connections, etc. Keep going and be prepared to put, put the work in. Consistency is key, but you're not going to land the first job you apply for. If you do, that's, that's very lucky of you. I think that the key is to be yourself. I think many people, what I see often, especially in interviews, and you can almost see it with the way they look at you, it's like they're speaking as if they're reading a script and they're looking at you, am I saying the right thing? Is this what you want to hear? Mm-hmm. It, I don't want to hear what you think I want to hear. I want to hear what you think. You know what I mean? I yeah. want to know how your mind operates. I want a window into your mindset and your thinking. That's the key. And in terms of when you do get interviewed, I think even though Tom was joking about this, like wearing a suit, you don't have to wear a suit, but I would say you have to look presentable. I've or a seen shirt. It, it, it doesn't have to be a shirt. It could be a neat t-shirt, whatever it is, as long as you look neat. I've seen people, it looks like they just rolled out of bed. So make sure you're presentable. In terms of your answers, make sure they're direct and concise. I think it's important to answer it, not too short. I think there's, you need to strike a balance there in terms of when you do have an interview, making sure that you elaborate on your answers, but don't go off and start waffling on. Yeah. And you can often see this in probably the body language of whoever is interviewing you, that they just want to get on. If you see that, then just try to wrap up. 
because the last thing you because oftentimes especially for bigger companies they almost have a, a set of questions they have to go through so if you keep over elaborating a question which I'm probably doing now <laughs> then <laughs> you just have to move on yeah but the key is that flow conversation that conversational flow be yourself and just relax there's no right or wrong if you hit it off with the person that's interviewing you you will get the job don't worry about it all right thank you I think we've covered some really good topics there and hopefully offered a lot of good relevant advice to those who are maybe looking for that step up or uh, literally looking for their very first job in UX. So thank you so much for, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Cheers. On the next episode of the All In Design podcast, we'll be joined by user researcher Lord Duchamp. We'll be talking about how conducting user research and user testing throughout the design process can help to build better products. So if you're a user researcher wanting to get some research tips or a designer wanting to get started with user research and testing, you're going to want to tune in next month. See you there.